0: just a 10-minute light rail ride from the heart of Denver, on the fifth floor of the Lamont School of Music, there is a rose. It is 10 feet tall and wide and hewn from stone.
1: The panes of glass set into the petals bring the glorious Rocky Mountains into view. On the other side of the glass, Lamont musicians sit down to discuss the world of music behind
0: and beyond that window. This is the Rose Room.
1: Hello, all listeners. Welcome back to the Rose Room. So today we are entering the world of jazz vocalists, uh, more specifically, really awesome female jazz vocalists. So with that, I have the immense pleasure of speaking to one of my fellow Rose Room hosts, Ruby Pachillo, and my own vocal instructor, Donna Wickham. So Donna is the head of the vocal jazz program at Lamont School of Music, and she has a really amazing array of experiences in her field, including working as a jazz composer, arranger, and performer, and she's also worked as a conductor and keyboardist uh, and electric bass player in multiple genres. And she's also released multiple original albums along with Teaching and Performing. And as our listeners probably know a little bit of, Ruby grew up in the New York jazz scene and is now an actively gigging jazz vocalist in Denver. And recently she's been safely gigging mid-pandemic at places like Dazzle in Denver and and other jazz clubs. So I'm really excited about today since we have, you know, one esteemed veteran in the field and one young person just breaking into it and making a lot of waves. So we have two really interesting perspectives here. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks for having us.
2: It's my pleasure.
1: All right, so we're just going to get right into it. First I just want to ask you guys what is gigging like as a vocalist? And you know that can be anything in the realm of you know how do you get gigs? What's the dynamic like with the band? How are rehearsals? What are the struggles? Just talk to me about your experiences gigging as a jazz vocalist.
2: Ruby go first.
0: Well I mean I'm definitely not the most seasoned veteran but I'm breaking into the scene. I've been gigging in a few places. And I guess the thing I found the most is that jazz is just really about who you know. You know, it's not an audition. There's never a a video submission that you send in or anything like that. It's just who knows how you sound and would they like to have you. And that's how I've gotten gigs in the past. Hopefully, I can start giving back in that way. I'd love to start branching out a little bit more and getting my own gigs so that I can call people that I really love to play with. And hopefully that'll start happening soon. But um, I think one of the funniest things that a lot of musicians who are not in the jazz world don't realize is that you basically don't rehearse for gigs. You kind of show up. You might have gotten some charts beforehand. Maybe you even didn't get some charts beforehand. And you play tunes that everybody knows. How are we starting? How do we end? solos and that's it. And you know what? It works great. People usually can't tell. So <laughs> so I guess I guess that's what the gigging experience would be like. You make some money, sometimes more, sometimes less, and that's that.
2: Yeah. So for me, I would mirror what Ruby said. My first gigs when I was kind of breaking in in town were with college colleagues that I played with, you know, in different uh school ensembles. And then club owners saw me and the, they approached me and they wanted me to put on special performances. You know, one of the earliest ones uh Donald Rosa who owns Dazzle came to me and he wanted me to put together a special show for his Women in Jazz Week. And um I really went after it. I had a I had a summer that was relatively free and uh, I just came up with like all sorts of new repertoire, and I just did all music that was written by women. And I learned a lot of new repertoire and I got to arrange all summer long, which is super fun. So I do a lot more like that. I don't end up doing as many pickup gigs where there are no rehearsals and you're all doing standards. Uh, It's been a long time since I had just like seen some standards gigs usually we're doing my own originals, my own arrangements. And, and they're usually tough enough that we have to rehearse a little bit.
0: I definitely hope to someday get to that point where I'm not playing so many standards anymore. We get to work on stuff a little bit and come up with what sounds fresh, because I think that's something that can be hard in jazz is it's supposed to be about, you know, pushing the music forward and making something new. And sometimes jazz musicians do stagnate a little bit with the tunes that they know because that's part of the culture. So definitely hoping to catch up with Donna eventually.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and like you brought up a really good point there just about standards since, I mean, not all of our listeners are super familiar with that. Um, And jazz is a really interesting field in that regard because, you know, you have these tunes that everyone's supposed to know backwards, forwards, sideways. And so what is the process like of, Learning standards and getting to the point where you do know those songs so well,
2: yeah, and that's you know that's how you cut your teeth. There's no other way in. You know you you have to know how to sing standards, or you won't even get the opportunity to strut your own stuff and write your own originals and uh, your own arrangements. And now I have fun with standards, but they're really what I call derangements because. I really stretch them. They're not the, you know, not anywhere close to what they originally were. So that's how I keep those a a little bit in my repertoire.
0: I definitely have prioritized knowing a lot of tunes because I think that there's this expectation that singers walk into the session or the gig and they don't know a thing you know they have their little chart with them that's in a different key than anyone's ever played it in before with so many sharps and flats and (laughs) and I have just really worked hard to try to avoid you know fitting into that stereotype because I want to be considered to be a real musician you know and unfortunately that's um something you really have to prove when you're you know first getting into a certain scene so I definitely I try to learn standards I mean I'm I'm falling behind on it a little more but I would agree I'm I'm gonna try to get past that point soon I'm starting to write some originals and starting to write some new music so hopefully that's something that I can that I can achieve
1: yeah definitely and that also brings up you know, something else that I wanted to talk about in this field, which is just jam culture. Um, And some of our listeners might not be familiar with what that is. So I would love for whoever first answers this question to, you know, define that for the audience here. But what is that like for vocalists?
2: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Ruby start this one because I know she's been jamming a lot with her friends at school.
0: Yes, I would like to jam even more with my friends from school. <laughs> Not everyone at Lamont is super stoked on jazz, but I've definitely found the little people who are super excited about it, and we're doing some really cool stuff. Um, I guess what our listeners should know about jam culture is, like we said, there's this set of standards that you need to know, and I I kind of categorize it by tiers. Like I think that there are singer tunes which I try never to call at a jam, like all of me or maybe a lot of you know the song summertime which just is slow or <laughs> autumn leaves um or, so i call those like like
2: all ballads
0: right yeah all <laughs> ballads right although there are some lovely ones that i've called yeah. it jams because everyone wants to hear a singer play a ballad as much as that bothers me sometimes but they go over super well people are like man what was that you know because none of the horn players are playing those melodies so Yeah, those are like first tier standards. And then I'd say like, it's cool to call some second or third tier standards, stuff that not everyone is playing at their first jam, but everyone is able to play at their 10th jam. You know what I mean? Um, And so, yeah, we kind of, that's how we, we base the experience. And you go up, you play the melody, everyone solos pretty much. And it's just a way of meeting other musicians, interacting with musicians that you don't know, um, getting to know musicians you do know much better, and becoming a part of this musical culture. What I will say about jam culture is it is not very welcoming to vocalists, and I bet Donna will have something to say about this. She's shaking her head right now. You know, I was at a jam a few weeks ago, and the guy leading the jam came up to me, hadn't seen him walk up to anyone else and he said, "Hey Ruby, um sorry I skipped over your name on the list a couple of times. I was wondering, do you know what you might want to play tonight?" And I was like, "Huh? Um, you know, maybe this this or this." And I listed off some things and he said, "Okay, do you know what keys?" And I said, "Oh, you know, original key is fine." Um and he said, "Are you going to solo?" And I said, yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a real vocalist. I, I'm going to go up and I'm going to play with everyone else. I'll solo, I'll improvise, I'll, I'll do my thing. I got you. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to ruin your jam. Like, I literally had to say that because he was patronizing me so much. <laughs> and you know what? It's too bad because I think a lot of vocalists actually do fit into the stereotype. But I really think it's because these expectations are so low for us that we can just kind of get by and be belittled and we just take that as a fact of our existence. And it really kind of sucks. You know, it's something you have to fight against every single day. So that's been my experience with jams. That happens all the time. And I've been catcalled at jams too. It's pretty, pretty wacky, but it's not, uh, it's not uncommon.
2: It's, it's not unlike what women have endured for a long time. In some ways, jazz is slower to adopt a more liberal attitude towards women than you know like an office workplace where there's certain types of behaviors that are absolutely verboten and um it kind of slides by at a jam session as just making some fun you know fun with the boys and i get it i'm the same type of singer as ruby is i just I just wanted to be a musician and make really fun music with fun musicians. That's all. You know, I was never in it to, you know, like wear the sparkly dress. There, there was a jam session in town several years ago that one of my singers and one of my good singers, a jazz singer who could improvise and could do it, went to this jam session and put her name on the list. And he just said flat out, uh, "We don't do singers at this jam." And wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and oddly enough, I had Sheila Jordan coming as a guest artist at the school, like later that week. And Sheila knew this dude, and my student told her the story, and Sheila called him up, and gave him hell and he uh accepted singers after that <laughs> <laughs> damn straight yeah it was really great to have like a powerhouse like Sheila say no it's not acceptable
1: <laughs> heck yeah <laughs>
2: All
1: Right. well thank you guys for speaking on that and I mean while we're in this realm I mean jazz like so many other musical spheres is a male-dominated space um and so I mean there is you know, a bit of that vibe checking with vocalists, but I'd just like to open the question up broadly and just ask what your experiences have been as a woman in jazz.
0: Well, I've had people who are in definite positions of power over me, whether it's because they know a lot more than me and they are hiring me on their gig or because they're a professor of mine or a teacher of mine, um, who have done outright, you know, terrible things I guess Um, and I, I don't feel a need to talk about specific experiences but I've definitely had people say things to me like oh if I was this age or I love what you're wearing and then really emphasizing how much they love what I'm wearing or telling me to cover myself up when, I'm, when they think I'm not wearing enough. And it's just, you know, why is it so much about how I look? Why am I a woman first and a musician second? And are they even considering me to be a musician? I don't even know sometimes. You know, it's really it's and also why is it so impressive when I can do what a male player can do or what an instrumentalist can do? Why is it so shocking? It's it's so many experiences and they're so cliche, like I've just it's not even worth speaking on as much as I could just rail and rail about every specific experience. Um, but it is hard. I, I've been kind of feeling recently a little bit of a lack of inspiration. And sometimes that comes from a place of where, well, every time that I get up on the bandstand, am I being objectified? You know, am I being valued first for the outfit that I'm wearing and the way my body and my hair look? It really takes a minute to prove that I know something and that I can hang. And I've always said that women need to know six times more material than men do to be given the same respect. And often we're judged before we even play a note, you know. So um, it really is kind of a matter of, it's always an uphill battle of proving here's who I am. Here's what I can do. Please forget that I'm a woman. I often find myself, you know, kind of broing out because, (laughs) which there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but it, it's always for a reason. So I could say more and more, but I'd like to hear what Donna has to say.
2: So I'm going to tell one real story. I think it's okay because it's so long ago. But a uh, a college chum of mine booked a uh, private gig at the Brown Palace um, playing for a private affair, and it paid really well. And uh, she wanted a vocalist on the gig, so she hired me and a band. And the pianist on the band was not one of our college friends. It was somebody that the bass player had recommended as a good player, and She and I walked into the room, and he said loudly to the bass player, you didn't tell me there would be chicks. Oh, geez. And this guy, I I soloed that night. And I play enough piano that I know what they're playing. And I have perfect pitch, so I... I really know what they're playing, and all night long, this guy was trying to sabotage me with crazy, crazy reharms out of the blue, and I was able to fly with it. Is like, you change key, yeah. I know you've gone to B flat, Buster. You know, <laughs> um, and I just let it go because. I kind of had a feeling that somebody with an attitude like that is not going to have a career um, because when you start working with the best of the best, and I've been very, very fortunate a couple of times to do that, none of that stuff that Ruby's been talking about. One of, one of my mentors in jazz was an ECM recording artist. He's one of the world's best. And there's none of that. And he doesn't play with people that do that type of stuff. We've got this rule, only nice people allowed. (laughs) And playing with that bunch of musicians is an absolute dream. Because it's just, it's not an issue. And we're just there making music. So that's That's all I will do now. I, I, uh, I don't need gigs where I go sing standards with guys who are going to belittle me. I just don't need them. So I'm not going to do them. So I play with those folks that are awesome.
0: Something I'll say about, um, about the culture just around playing. I have found that you know, coming from New York, which is a pretty... I, I wasn't super, super in the scene there. You got to be pretty darn good. And, you know, I, I came in here as someone who was taught completely by ear. I was just listening for my whole life. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but the few times that I did get to, you know... Well, I did go to a lot of sessions. I went to see a ton of people play. But the few times that I got to go to really serious sessions and have real gigs, um, I noticed that... When I came to Colorado, there was such a difference between the New York scene and what I was getting here. I came in here like with my dukes up, ready to be vibed to hell. And for anyone listening, um, when you get vibed, it just basically means that people say really nasty things to you or really passive aggressive things to you. That are meant to sort of encourage you to just play better, you know? Um, And honestly, for me, that worked really well. It was a good incentive for me to get a lot better and kick my own butt. But I came here and I was kind of like ready to, okay, now I kind of know what's going on. I'm not starting completely fresh in music here. I at least know the jazz idiom and I was ready to like beat people at their own game. People in Colorado were so nice to me. They wanted to hear me. Um, They wanted to play with me. They were impressed with the things that I knew, seemingly, because they liked what I was doing musically, not because I was some girl, you know, and a singer kind of defying their expectations. And then I've had more and more experiences in Colorado. And there have, of course, been times, um, like some of the things I've already mentioned, where... It just wasn't right, you know, the way that I was being treated. But overall, I like the Colorado scene a lot. So that's nice.
2: That's something I will say. Yeah, that's good to hear. A lot of those people that I was referring to, the nice people, they came here because of that. You know, they they came from the New York scene and or or Europe or, you know, various other places because nice people are here and and like attracts like sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so kind of switching gears, but I want to ask about theory a little bit, since you guys kind of touched on that. In the path of like learning to sing jazz and learning jazz, are you encouraged as a vocalist to learn theory? Do you feel like you enter the music scene as adequately prepared as compared to instrumentalists? Well,
0: Donna's definitely helped me get a ton of theory under my belt. Well, not a ton. I'm still working on it, but half a um, ton. yeah, <laughs> half a ton. Um, definitely. Like I said, I was completely taught by ear and I was able to kind of fake my way through for a long time. I don't even know if it's faking. You know, there are plenty of musicians who learn to play in all different ways. And I'm You know, looking back on what I was doing, it was it was some it was cool, some of the things that I was hearing and that I was putting out there. Um, But theory helps. However, I've definitely never felt like it, it really goes along with what i was saying before that no one expects anything of vocalists right so if they don't expect you to improvise and they hardly expect you to embellish melodies in the way that bebop players would do they definitely don't really expect you to have much theory under your belt and not to employ it in solos that's for sure
2: there are many many fantastic musicians who are ear musicians usually older but not all the time and they didn't need theory to play hip stuff. Those of us who are not just born geniuses at it, boy, <laughs> mm-hmm. it sure does help. It sure does yes. help. And um, nothing changed my life as far as my ability to improvise vocally in jazz than learning jazz piano, learning the voicings and you know, studying all sorts of different tunes that a singing teacher would never teach me and learning all sorts of crazy exotic scales which i then overused in every single original and arrangement i wrote for (laughs) several years (laughs) Uh, look another song in like octatonic you know um which is a, a one of the diminished scales but You know, I was just, oh, I was just so full of myself. Like everything I wrote had to be super theoretically difficult, (laughs) not accessible at all. Um.
0: (laughs) I think that's an interesting point because I think that I've spent a lot of time overcompensating with the music that I make. I play too many notes. Donna can agree. I like use the trick that I learned last week. Many times in the week that follows. And sometimes I vibe people way harder than they need to be vibed. And, you know, the list goes on of ways that I have overcompensated for some of the insecurity that has come with the stuff that I'm expected to know or I'm not expected to know. Um, and it's, it is sad that this dominates a lot of my conversation about being a vocalist in jazz because normally I don't even like to think of myself as a vocalist. I just want to be a musician and I want to play everything and know all the history and know all the language. But yeah, it's definitely often come as a detriment actually to my progression is thinking, oh man, either I'm never going to get this You know, a saxophonist or pianist would say under their fingers, but I guess I'll never get this into my voice or um, so I might as well just put it off until I can't wait any longer or I have to play every single lick that I know and the fastest notes I can possibly sing um, when I'm in that recording session. You know what I mean? So definitely sometimes it's a balance that I really find myself needing to learn how to strike.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um I was I was going to say one thing that like maybe I've no I've definitely learned because I am way way older than you guys. <laughs> I I really recognized it when Ruby you know admitted to vibing people herself. And you know I'm really embarrassed about how vibey I was a long time ago and it was not welcoming. It didn't encourage people to be in jazz and to make music with me. And I've learned from some of those people that I call the nice people, the nice players, that when you're really good, you don't have to prove yourself anymore by vibing. And the best players are the ones that are open-hearted and generous.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then also a little bit switching gears on this one too, but not really uh, improvisation and scatting is a huge part of being a jazz vocalist, obviously. I mean, it's integral to the art. How did you guys learn to improvise and how does someone become a successful scatter? Improviser? Improviser. (laughs) Okay.
0: My, uh, My improvisation story is kind of funny because I think that, I learned to play jazz from all of the albums that were on repeat that I became just obsessed with throughout my childhood. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I listened to Fats Waller 100% for you. So I was hearing all that really early stuff, and then I had a ton of Bird albums, and listened to Mingus. Like, Charles Mingus was my true musical awakening. I remember the day that I listened to Charles Mingus for the first time, and I heard Fables of Faubus, and I was like, this just changed my life. This is my music. It was seriously, I don't know. It was a moment where I really just transcended. It was crazy. Um, But I... I had no idea where I stood with improvising, but I just kind of learned to like scat a little bit like Ella and I don't know what else what other scatting I listened to. I think there was the album Prebird. There's some really hip solo on that that I just like knew by heart, but I don't know. And then I walked into... state Vocal Jazz, which was my first time doing anything really legitimate with jazz. Um, I had just kind of learned about it on my own and it was my own personal private obsession. And I walked in there and the director was like, does anyone want to solo over this blues? And I thought everyone was going to raise their hand. Not one person raised their hand. So I did. And I just went for it. And this woman's face... Looked really surprised. She was like very surprised that I was kind of like doing the thing. So I honestly, I don't know how I got to that point. But, um, but over time, I started collecting more syllables and I started uh, figuring out, okay, what syllables go with what shapes? Because that's really important, right? You wouldn't necessarily go like, go global diva, right? Like that's a little <laughs> weird. But let's say I wanted to like keep that same shape. Vulio viva. Right. That makes a little more sense. You like that tall syllable for the tall, um, the tall sound, the one that kind of pitches upward. And then you want more of a percussive flat sound for when you come back down. And that's just something that you kind of learn instinctually, I think. So that's kind of how I got to where I was. Listening. just Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think More young jazz musicians need to be listening more because I've met so many people who are like, yeah, I like playing more than I like listening, man. That's not an option. No way. You got (laughs) to know the history and the vocab because this music is about knowing deeply the history and knowing the tradition and understanding, okay, now what comes out of that? Um, And that's how you can tell the really musical players from people who are more in it for academic music, which is also great. Academic music is fine and it's exciting and interesting to learn about, but the truly musical players that I know who are in my age range are the ones who really, really have listened throughout their whole lives. Yeah.
2: Uh, Jazz professors just, we, we go blue in the face saying, listen, listen, listen. Um, I have listening lists that I've put together. Um, that I hand students at the beginning of the summer and I'm like, listen to everything on this list. Um, (laughs) You know, you wanna know what to do this summer, here here it is. And I was the same. I grew up in a household. uh, My parents were both musicians and my dad was uh, a former band leader in the swing era. He had his own territory band. So they had very good taste in music and I heard a heck of a lot of jazz and a heck of a lot of classical music too. I mean, I just heard a lot of music, um, and I just remember singing along with those solos, just singing along, just like any kid would sing along with, you know, their favorite pop tune. And that's how it becomes part of your natural language. Um, and it's really, it's no mystery. I mean. It's why people that really love R&B music that have listened to that their whole life, they just automatically have the sound. And I would have to sit and study, you know, a lot of different pop and soul music to like sing it even close, but it would still sound like I have an accent. You know, you, you've got, if you're gonna make a type of music, you, you just, you have to listen to it until it's in your bones.
1: Yeah, and that's one thing that's always just been so striking to me about jazz is that really true jazz musicians like you guys, it's almost like a calling, at least from what I've experienced and witnessed over the years, is that, you know, different types of music call different people, but I feel like jazz is such a powerful calling um, for the musicians that truly love it and truly pursue it, like you guys, and I think it's really cool to see.
2: Well, it's so dang hard, like... There's a lot (laughs) of easier things to do. It's so dang hard and it it (laughs) means so little that you better be called because like there's, you know, no other reason.
0: (laughs) And think about what jazz is, too, is, I mean, you're right. It is hard and it doesn't pay great, but the way that this community functions, it's like a mass that moves in one direction or the other all together. Like, you want to keep up. The, the hope is that you keep up, that you know what's come before, that you can sort of foresee what comes after. And that is very powerful for a lot of people, I think. And to know that you have this community who actually not only knows like maybe the names of some songs that you know, but knows every song that you know, and that still you can make that song sound new every day. There are ways to expand upon it. And, you know, Donna's been helping me get into more free improvisation, sort of step into that territory a bit more. Um, The fact that you can just play with what is in your brain and you don't even have to really rely on convention. It's, it's magical. It's really, really something different
1: awesome well I think those are beautiful last words to end on here um so I think all of our listeners once they hear this will join me in saying thank you guys so much for your insights today um thank yeah, you I'll see you for another episode it soon. was
2: fun thank you
0: thank you for joining us for our conversation about what it's like being a jazz vocalist with Donna Wickham and Ruby Pachillo. our next episode will be on March 1st If you have any questions, suggestions, or would like to be featured on a future podcast,
1: please contact us at lamontroseroom at gmail.com. Thanks.